Hello, everyone. It's that time of the week again. It's Wow Ergonomics with me, Graham Cove. Now, Stephen is off sunning himself uh, on a motorway in Birmingham. So that means that I'm flying solo today. But I do have a very special guest who will be helping me through the next 45 minutes. And that is Dan. Nice to meet you, Dan. Thanks for thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be on Wow Ergonomics today. Thank you. Well, that, no, the pleasure is all ours. So we will be centering around the topic of conversation today, specialist assessments. What are those? I hear you cry. For all of you that are not in the world of workplace assessments, um, there are things that go on where employees, as part of their work, should be assessed on a regular basis to make sure that all of their needs are met, both in terms of their physical comfort and their well-being. Uh, but do employers always carry those out? Not necessarily. We know that. We've spoken about that in the past. However, a lot of people do have what's called a display screen equipment assessment. It may be that you'll find that that is a tick box affair. You have a little sheet in front of you, or you might have it on a screen now. And... You've, you tick all of the boxes or you put crosses in the boxes to say, oh, uh, my feet aren't touching the ground or I'm a little bit too far away from my desk. And at the end of it, somebody comes up to you and gives you a mouse mat, a pat on the back and says, I'm, there you are. You're all right for another year. But what happens if you're, you need a little bit more than that? What happens, for example, if you have sight loss? What happens if you've got hearing loss? Is that going to help you? Absolutely not. And that's why we've got Dan here today. So, Dan, what we're going to do is we're going to start by watching a, a little video which you've put together, which explains one part of your business. Um, and then after that, we're going to a lo little bit of a conversation around it. So here is that video farm. It's this is called. My story. How I continued working, even though I was losing my sight. For two years, I struggled. I was working as an administrator when it suddenly became difficult. I was slow, clumsy, and annoying myself as well as my colleagues. No one could tell what I was going through and how or why I was acting in this way. I knew why. I just didn't want to admit it to myself or to anyone else. I was afraid. I thought my job would be taken away from me and I'd be unemployed, without income and with little hope of getting another job. The answer was so simple. I just had to admit to my boss that I was losing my sight. I didn't realise there was plenty of help and support out there for me and that it was easily accessible and relatively inexpensive, as you don't know what you don't know. How many other people are feeling like this? At the time, I felt as if it was only me who was facing the worry and impact of going blind while struggling to hold down a job. I now know that I wasn't alone. I found out that 250 people begin to lose their sight every day. I couldn't see beyond my own worry. I looked fine and sounded fine, but couldn't see properly and everything became very stressful. Losing your sight is often an invisible process as no one can see what the problem is. It's easy for other people to judge or misjudge and for you to end up on the outer fringes of things, feeling helpless and isolated. 
After two years, I arranged an appointment with Occupational Health and explained the difficulties I was having with my eyesight. At last, I'd spoken out loud about it and felt I had made a start. The best thing of all was that they took immediate action by arranging for an expert to do a specialist visual impairment workplace assessment. It was that simple. To my astonishment, there was loads of equipment to help me, which I had no idea existed, including software that could magnify the text on my computer screen. Then I discovered there was software that could read my emails aloud, so I didn't have to struggle to read them using my failing eyesight. She works for several clients and some days she can be... The person doing my workplace assessment also told me about keyboards that are larger than usual so that I could now see the letters and numbers. This speeded up the pace at which I could work. I was raring to go. I felt so much happier. Once I got quicker at doing my job, I found the confidence to tell my work colleagues that before I hadn't been able to see very well. But now that I had the right support, I felt so much better. Naturally, everyone else felt much happier too. They understood and felt relieved and could also offer me support if I needed it. Most of all, it meant I could carry out my duties at work as efficiently as before and stay in my job. My colleagues also received visual impairment awareness training, which helped them to understand how to help me best. If you're experiencing difficulties at work owing to limited vision, struggling to read small print on your screen, using your keyboard, or even recognising colleagues while you fumble around feeling awkward and clumsy, then stop. Say it out loud. Acknowledge you have a problem with your eyesight and get a workplace assessment. It will benefit you, your colleagues, increase productivity, and add to the positive reputation of the company where you work. Losing your sight doesn't mean you have to lose your job. Talk to the relevant people and get your working life back on track. To find out more, visit www.visualisetrainingandconsultancy.com or email daniel at visualisetrainingandconsultancy.co.uk Brilliant. I love that. I love that video. Thank, thanks, for, thanks for sharing that with us, Dan. And that's just one part of the service that you provide um, because you also cover hearing loss as well. And not, as, as it said in there, it's not just the assessment piece, it's also the training piece and awareness piece for other members of staff so that they, they can help and support people. You're on mute, by the way, <laughs> just before we start to talk. Um, so, so important. So important. And for me, the key piece that I want to pick up on there is the 250 people start to lose their sight every day because i think one of the main problems here is that for people that don't have hearing loss sight loss and i'm going to i'm going to also say things like dyslexia dyspraxia or any of those things people assume that actually there's a kind of assumption there that people have these things and then they're in the workplace. The, the thing that most people do not pick up on is that you can be perfectly all right for years. And then suddenly 
you can start to lose your sight or suddenly your hearing can get worse. Do, do you think that's one of the problems here? It's that it's people see this in terms of too black or white in a way. It's either somebody is blind or some or somebody's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a some people lose their, their um, hearing or they might lose their sight. Um, and some people and even even if someone's let's say they've lost their one let, let's say they've lost one eye for example and they've still got really good vision in the other eye that's still a loss so that still means that they need adjustments and they need to adjust to that different level of loss whether that be hearing loss sight loss um and it also affects people's mental health you know um so we can put all of the technology in place as we would like to and we can put all the adjustments in place but also we got to also think about someone's mental health and also how are they then coping at home as well because if people are not happy at home and they're not coping correctly they're never going to be happy at work so we look at the whole holistic approach um to make sure that that person's got the correct adjustments in place not only at work but also at home and your own personal testimony which i know is is you know, it's quite emotional as in itself. Your own, your own story mm. of discovering what what was going on with you. Mm. I mean, you know that because you 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 went through those kind of feelings yourself. You, you you presumably, you know, to begin with, you just felt lost. Yeah, yeah, I felt lost. I you know, I was told at the age of about sixteen. Um, that I was going to go blind one day and I've got a condition that's gradually getting worse and I didn't know where to turn to. Um, I didn't know what support was available. And so it, it, if I didn't know at the age of 16, then how do we expect employers to know? How do we expect employees to know? How do we expect occupational health companies to know what solution to put in place for that individual? And that's why I developed this company to make the world a better place for those people that are living with vision or hearing loss um, and to make sure that people get the correct adjustments in place in a timely manner as well, because I think it's really important that people get adjustments in place quickly. You know, people can't be waiting long periods of time because, at the, at, you know, the longer they wait, the more they struggle. Um, so it's really, really important to get things sorted out ASAP. Uh, let's talk about the assessment piece, because we all know that um, well, not everybody does assessments, and that that's completely wrong <laughs> when it comes to workplace. But some companies are going to say, "Ah, but I do workplace assessments. I regularly check in with my people, and and we do do assessments." But there's assessments, and there's assessments, and and personally, I think there's one of the problems when I was doing assessments myself. I think one of the problems was some of the ways that the assessment is carried out. Or the process by which it's carried out is that there's no opportunity to actually say anything that relates to any of these conditions yeah. um and let's give some examples of that so in a typical dse assessment if it's if it's more of a kind of tick box affair there may well be questions on there that relate to eyesight but it will be generally about you know, it's just it was it's more about the equipment itself rather than the person. So uh, is the screen easy to read or, you know, are the keys on the keyboard easy to read? Now, if you say no, often the next point of call for, for the person reading that back is, oh, so they need 
a different keyboard or, <laughs> or, or they need a larger screen. But that's, there's no, there's no real solution in there to go, actually, I need to talk to someone because I don't really understand what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big things is that I work with a lot of employers and insurers. And one thing I see a lot of is when someone has had one of those sort of basic DSE assessments, they are maybe provided with a really, really large screen. And then that potentially causes them more problems because the larger the screen, the more that you have to move your neck. And if you've got limited vision already, um, to give someone a larger screen um, when they can't see the full screen anyway, they've got to move their head a lot more. Then they get bad back, then they get bad necks, then they need an ergonomic assessment to look at the chair. Um, and it becomes a lot more of a costly situation. So I think that's why it's really, really important not to always assume that bigger is always better when it comes to visual impairment, because it's not. And 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 sometimes that is a solution. Don't get me wrong, but but the majority of the time it's not always a solution. Um, so yeah, and I think also DSE assessments, like they should ask the question: Do you have any difficulty with glare? Do you have any difficulty with small print? Um, are you experiencing any um, eye pain? Have you? When was the last time you went for an eye test? What was the results of that eye test? Was it positive, negative? Um, and if you haven't been for an eye test, for example, in the last two years, which is what people should do, um, HR and health and safety teams within organizations should also be emailing the, the employees to say, don't forget to go for your eye test. Um, the same way that, you know, there's lots of initiatives around mental health, et cetera, et cetera. Why is there not many initiatives around eye health in an organization? Because we know that prevention is better than cure. And I think that organizations have a role to play in this as well, in that they, they a lot of, you know, if you, if you use a DSE equipment for more than four hours a day, you're entitled to a free eye test by the employer. A lot of organizations don't necessarily um, promote that internally, but then also they don't necessarily email their staff every two years to check. And then once, once someone has maybe highlighted an eye condition or a problem with their vision, there also needs to be another step in that process to say, okay, um, they've said no to this, they can't, they're struggling to see, we need to then get an expert in to do an assessment to look at what adjustments we can put in for that person. And again, it needs to be in a swift manner to make sure that that person's not struggling for more than they need to. Uh, just to say, uh, Mark Waldron's just said important stuff. Thanks, Mark, for, for your comment. If anyone's got any questions as they're watching, please do put the questions up and uh, we will answer those questions as, as best we can. Okay. Going back to that, there, there will be a, a number of companies that, that will do all of that. They, they will make sure that, you know, it's on the, the report. Uh, make sure you have a, a, a regular eye test. Uh, you know, if if you d haven't had an eye test within two years, we've got a voucher scheme within the company. Here you are. Here's a here's a voucher. Go go off to Specsavers or wherever it is. Um, other other optometrists are available. Um, and and have your eye test. But we are also talking about things, as you said earlier, that are life changing. Mm. And I think one of the problems with the with the system at the moment is people if people feel that the, the next part of the solution is just i'm going to get this i'm going to get that and i'm going to get into this cycle because i've seen it within the workplace i'm going to get into this cycle of being given stuff and it may work it may not but there's an emotional thing there that 
needs to come out, a conversation that needs to come out, that's difficult. Mm. And one of the things that I like about what you're doing is you're using people that have lived experience. And from a personal point of view, if tomorrow mm. I started to lose my eyesight, mm. I've actually started to lose a little bit of my hearing, actually, because I know I went to an audiologist at a, at a hearing conference a, f- a few years ago, and she said, oh, you've, you've got a little bit of um, hearing loss in, in one ear. But what, if you're having those conversations or if you want to need to have those conversations, you, you probably want to have one of those conversations with someone that understands what that experience is like. Yeah. And is, yeah. is that an important part of it? Yeah, I think definitely. So all of our assessors that we, we use have lived experience of either vision or hearing loss. And I think that is really powerful because most employees that we see, they say, you know, maybe they've had an assessment from somebody else or maybe something, the recommendations were incorrect. And maybe that they, they it's the first person they've ever met who has a vision or hearing loss. And they say, you know, it's nice to just speak to someone who gets it. And I think that's really, really important because we get it. We've heard it all before and we can empathize. We're never going to necessarily put our, we're never going to know how that person feels because everyone's feelings and emotions are very unique to them. But ultimately, everyone has had a loss of whether that be vision or hearing loss. And so, you know, I think it's really important that we, it's really good because we can build those relationships with people um, and we can make sure that they get the correct adjustments in place for them to maximize um, their home life and also their work life. Um, and we'll also look at referring them out to the community in terms of social services or local charities that can also support them, make sure that they've got the correct benefits in place as well. Um, make sure that, you know, someone, for example, if they're a blind person, then how have they had long cane training to learn how to use a white cane? Because if they can't use a white cane and their mobility is not very good, then how do they even get to work in the first place? So there's all that type of thing that I think sometimes some providers just look upon the technology on its own as a sole thing. But actually, it's not just about technology. It's about we've got a person in front of us that needs to, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, really. So we've got a person in front of us that needs to be able to cook. They need to be able to clean. They need to be able to have money and income um, before they even go to work. So what adjustments can we put in place in that regard? So, for example, if we've got somebody that has hearing loss, have they um, had the fire service come out to look at their home, to look at potentially putting vibrating um, fire alarms under their pillow? Have they got flashing lights in their home so that they will detect if there's a fire? Um, All of those different things is it's very very holistic to make the bigger picture because actually that person is then still going to have for example magnification software in the office but still going to be sat there very sad and emotional because they still not got to grips with their sort of new new way of seeing or new way of hearing yeah thank you i mean just just give an example at the moment from your kind of experience how many companies out there do you think aren't making these kind of assessments available who potentially could be um i think there's quite a lot to be honest i think um i think there's a lot of companies that will use generic providers to do assessments um and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's not good in in the respect that i've done assessments for people where they've had a company come out and they've recommended loads of software but it's 
it's all about the software, for example, and then they've not thought about the bigger picture of that person's life, um, their mental health. Have they been have have you referred them on to counselling services and other support that can help them? Um, but also, I've I've done other assessments where they've been recommended loads of loads of the wrong software and like dyslexia software, which wasn't appropriate. So. I think there's a lot of companies that just want one supplier to do everything for them. Whether that's the right thing is questionable because actually sometimes you do need specialist providers to do to do different things. I think otherwise you become a jack of all trades. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on, that we are specialist providers. We stick to what we, we know and we do and we do well. Um, and that's a testimony to you know all of the testimonials that we've had. And one of the big testimonials that we get is that you get it, you've, you you know it, and you live it. So we, and, and that's one of the big things that our employees say um, that we do assessments for is that it really makes a difference because you're, we're all talking from the same hymn sheet and you really understand it from um, a vision or hearing loss perspective. Yeah. And, and as you're talking about that, one of the things that strikes me is that, you know, we, we should live in a world that's inclusive. Mm. And, you know, looking across social media, you would think that everybody that's part of a big organisation would be banging the drum, saying, yeah, we, we're, we're diverse, we're inclusive, we're accessible as, as a business. You know, we, we totally buy into all of these, uh, these things. And yet, if the process that people put into place isn't inclusive, because actually it excludes a minority of people within the business, then, then you know, it's not inclusive. It, it's only, as Jody Greer says, who's a friend of the show, it's only inclusive if it's for everybody. Mm. And, and that's absolutely true, isn't it? Mm. And I think we see that in occupational health. So um, some occupational health companies are really, really good and they do, you know, end-to-end -end service and they do every everything. And then you see that in some occupational health where, they do bits, so they might focus on MSK and ergonomics, but then they don't do the other bits. So there's, I think there's a lot of people that also get left out in the system. And I would, I would strongly say that people with vision and hearing loss are one of those two groups of people that are left out in the service in that, you know, there's a lot of services for dyslexia, there's a lot of services for ergonomics, but vision and hearing are sort of slightly left. And so when it comes to line managers knowing where to go, not everyone knows where to go for the next for help and support so you've got one the, the employee is struggling to find what adjustments could be put in place and the line managers then struggling because they don't know where to go they may they may go as occupational health at the first point of contact but then if the occupational health provider says they don't do that where do they go next absolutely absolutely now some people might be listening to this uh craig is craig mcgrath thanks for thanks for watching he said, excellent content, guys. Daddy care for me too, I'm afraid today. So we are being TV <laughs> for people like Craig who are at home because it is half term looking after the children. We're, we're their escape for 10 minutes. Some people may be watching this go, this is a fairly heavy subject and it is a very heavy subject, but that doesn't mean to say that Dan doesn't know how to have fun. Um, and part of his business is having fun with people and encouraging people to really understand what other people are going through. Um, this clip went out on LinkedIn this morning. For, for those of you who are over in Twitter land, you won't have seen this, but 
I'm going to show you this little clip now. It's only the beginning of the video. The rest of the story is actually on uh, Dan's website, so you can go and read it there. But going to watch this quickly now, and then Dan, <laughs> you and I can explain what's going on in this yeah. little video. Okay, I've called it Nice Jazz. A man from Bath who is losing his eyesight got 30 people to go out for dinner last night with him, but they had to wear blindfolds. He told Hearts reporter Charlotte Gay he wants to show people what it's like for people like him. My name's Daniel Williams. I've got a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, which is the gradual loss of peripheral vision and eventually will leave me totally blind. There's currently 2 million people in the UK living with sight loss, and my aim is to make the world more accessible. Nice jazz. <laughs> nice jazz. <laughs> I, I, I love that. So tell us about that. What 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 went on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, we just we, we wanted to do a bit of a um, so that was actually done as a fundraiser when I first set up my business about eight years ago. Um, and it was to give back to the Prince's Trust. So we raised some money for the Prince's Trust um, because the Prince's Trust supported me to get on the sort of ladder to set up my own business. Um, mm -hmm. And what we did is we got 30 people, um, uh, business people around Bath to um, in Miller and Carter restaurant, we got them all to wear blindfolds and they were all served a meal, but they didn't know what they were going to be eating. Um, and, the, and then we had also a friend of mine who's also blind, who is a um, saxophonist, and he was playing the music, and we had the mayor of Bath there. And the idea of it was just to raise awareness amongst um, business leaders to um, see what it's like for, for 10, well, for an hour, effectively, to see what it's like to, to live and eat as, as a blind person. Um, and also to sit on the table with people that they don't necessarily know as well, and how it was really interesting because a lot of people were speaking a lot more and they were a lot more open to talk to people that they didn't know when they couldn't see them and it's that thing of like we all have preconceived ideas when we see people but if you don't see people do you still have those preconceived ideas of them mm. um and I, it's something that i'm really interested in like taking forward probably to do more and more sessions of them and i think there, there's also scope to do like a blind date night you know like what silla black used to do effectively oh wow like in in that in that type of situation where you could do like speed dating but blindfolded where you couldn't where you wouldn't know who you're who you're looking at that's so so and so then when cool. you take it off when, when you take it off would you would you still want to date that person that would be the inter interesting thing well well absolutely um TV there, producers don't rob my idea. Well, there is there is actually a show that's a little bit like that, where they have to get to know each other first with, just by talking, and then they don't actually see see each other yeah. to begin with. And I think that's quite it's the complete opposite of naked attraction yeah. uh, for anybody that's that that has seen that um, shocking show that that is. But but the point is that it's it's important as well for for companies to to. Um, ensure that if they do have somebody that has sight loss or hearing loss etc to, to make sure that other people within the business uh especially in the teams around them know how to support them so you do an amount of your work is doing that kind of training work with with companies but it strikes me that also that that could be a really good sort of team building exercise for for a lot of businesses anyway regardless of <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's it's definitely a, a team building exercise. I think it also raises it, it, it sort of hits three things. One is it hits communication. So it teaches people how to communicate more effectively in an organization. I think it raises awareness amongst eye health. 
so that again prevention is better than cure agenda um to make people go for eye tests whenever i do awareness training um i always say to people you know who in the room has actually been for an eye test recently and there's probably about normally about three or four people that haven't been for an eye test since they were young you know and these people are now adults um and i say to them well how do you know that you can see how do you know you've got good vision and they'll say because uh, I can see, because I, I can see, <laughs> and I say, well, you don't know until you go for an eye test. That's and that that's the thing. Um, and I think you know the other scary thing on that is that we when when we when people have crashes in the UK on the road, how many people have those crash? How, how many reason? How many um, crashes are actually due to vision loss? Because wow. you know people instantly think, oh, it's a drunk driver, it's a, dr a driver on drugs, blah blah blah. They don't really necessarily think maybe the driver couldn't see um, and the police, you know, the police do um, drug tests and they do um, alcohol tests on the roadside, but they would they wouldn't check someone's vision generally um, and they wouldn't, you know, and they wouldn't be able to do that really accurately anyway. But the point is, is that lots of people don't necessarily know they can't see. So because if they've got a gradual loss, it's just so gradual that it doesn't, it's there, it becomes their normal. So I see a lot of people that say to me, you know, I've probably had this for years, but never really noticed it. I just thought I was always a clumsy person. Mm. Um, and everyone just used to say, oh, Graham's always the clumsy one in the office. Well, why is he clumsy? Is he clumsy? You know, it, people are not generally just clumsy um, unless they've got something else going on. And that might be vision. It could be, you know, dyspraxia, whatever it might be. But it's there's always generally a reason. So that was sort of, um, so yeah, we do awareness. And then we also do the awareness training then for the colleagues that are working with the employee that has a visual impairment to raise their awareness and give them more confidence to be able to guide, to communicate effectively and break down that barrier that might be between the employee and the colleagues that that employee works with. Um, so we try to get that recommended through um, access to work and also um, through people that are, do assessments of other people that have visual impairment. Yeah, the, the more we sit here talking, the more it sort of takes me back to my days of assessment. And, and you realise just how many people don't necessarily necessarily fit into that initial kind of assessment scheme of things. I mean, for, for example, I remember um, needing to call in additional services around people with epilepsy, for example. I mean, where, where's that covered on uh, on a you know general workplace assessment? Uh, people with vertigo. Um, people with tinnitus for example and i i know you you, you deal with that to, mm. to some extent as well i mean these there are so many different things which are just not going to get picked up by a lot of the workplace assessments that you see out there mm -hmm. and i think ergonomic assessments is one of the things like someone might have an ergonomic assessment for example and they may be bending forward to the screen so therefore they've got a bad back and they've got a bad neck. Someone gives them a new chair, but actually why are they bending forward to the screen? Why have they got a bad neck? Are they bending forward to the screen because they're not seeing, but they've not even realized they're not, they're not seeing properly. So when was the last time they went for an eye test? You know, so it works the other way as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I the, the whole system in a way needs reverse engineering and it, it mm. needs to really actually start with, uh, it, for a start, it needs to be more proactive it actually needs to to lay the landscape in the first place for people to be much more open about what's going wrong with them and i, I think that's one of the problems is that it's and i don't know whether you agree with this but at the moment too much of the system is reactive 
as a, as opposed to proactive if if we were giving companies the training on these things in the first place saying you know this is what it looks like uh and these are the kind of things that will help for people with sight loss for mm. hearing loss mm. you know here, let's get somebody in this month to talk to us about uh what what you do is if someone's got epilepsy and here's the signs of epilepsy you know th this seems to be happening more in businesses around mental health now and it's taken forever really for this to start happening uh i see more and more businesses investing money in mental health first aid training should, should we be seeing more companies investing m money in terms of training in your area as well? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, well, we know that 50% of sight loss is avoidable. Um, and we know that some types of hearing loss are also avoidable. So I think it's that prevention is better than cure. That awareness piece is really, really important. Um, and and to, you know, and I think, you know, to, to realise that people are not, people are people at the end of the day. They're not just a you know, people might have visual impairment, but they might also have um, dyslexia. They might also have ergonomic issues. So it's, you know, you might not just get one sort of ailment, I suppose. You may get others as well. Yeah. The other thing that struck me when you were talking before, it, I didn't realise until I was talking to uh, an ophthalmologist a, a few years back just how many things that they can actually pick up mm. in an eyesight uh test as well a pr proper eyesight test as well um you know they can pick up on uh, you know whether things like brain tumors are, are starting they can pick up on uh, lit they can even pick up on things like changes in your blood pressure yeah. you know uh, and that's important it may be that it's it's actually nothing to do with your sight per se mm -hmm. but it might be that they they can pick up on the early signs of a of a stroke I think that, yeah, I think the drive-in situation is really interesting as well. Like, there's a lot of people, you know, for example, when you get a drive-in license, um, the the, the drive-in instructor will say, you know, can you see the, the number plate 25 metres ahead? And if you can say yes to that, then you can get the license. Um, I think that's really interesting because someone was telling me that in Poland, um, every so often, I think it might be every five years or something, you have to go for an eye test before you can get your re your license um, reinstated. Oh, Whereas yeah. in this country, once once you've got the license, you don't necessarily have to go back and forth all the time. So it, for me, it should be you have to have a, an eyesight test maybe every two years, and that automatically is sent to the DVLA because I think that there is a lot of people on the road that are not seeing, and I've seen them. You know, I've met people where. They've, their vision's got to a point where it's got so bad that they've had to stop driving. And it also worries me sometimes as someone that can't drive, getting into sort of taxis and putting my life in their hands. Um, because how do I know that they can see well? You know, I don't because they're never, they don't generally have to go for an eye test. I, do you know what? That's a really interesting topic of conversation. And I'm sure it's one that actually lots of people uh, might have a, a, an opinion on. So if you have an opinion on <laughs> driving tests, uh, do put your comments in because there's so much. My son has literally just passed his theory test today. How how convenient um, yeah. that, that that's happened. But, you know, if I look at the highway code now compared with the highway code when I was 17, which was a long time ago, folks. Um, <laughs> it's it's changed completely. But how many, you know, in this country, you read the highway code, you learn it, you pass your test when you're 17, 
you never look at it again. <laughs> and yet, yeah. as a document, it's completely changed. Yeah. So not only not any of the rules of the road change, and no one no one mean it, needs you to keep up to date with that. Um, and interestingly, I've got one of the old licenses, which means that I can drive virtually anything. I can drive a three and a half ton truck, <laughs> <laughs> and I have done on occasion. But you know, I always thought when I when I did try that, someone could have given me a lesson in this first because it is completely yeah. different from driving a car. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, you know, you don't need an eyesight test. You you don't need uh, you don't even need to have um, a, a te- test to see whether you've got your wits about you. There was an interesting program on TV a few years back where they took a load of uh, a lot of old people and they they were that the police had set up this center um, by the by the side of the road. And they 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 asked all of these <laughs> older generation of people to come along and do another test with the police to see whether they would pass. And hardly any of them did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it'd be. Well, it is, mm. but you know, but the thing is, and what you're saying there is that, you know, these things are crucial. With even with age, your eyesight does deteriorate to a certain mm. extent, and you know, things like if your peripheral vision starts to go, mm. then that not only affects things like driving, but it also affects things like communication in an office. So, do you just want to talk about things like that? I mean, because. I think that's one of the things that people don't understand. If if you lose part of your field of vision, it's you lose. It's not just about the work that's in front of you. It's about you picking up on cues that are el- elsewhere around you. Mm. Yeah. And people will lose um, their sight in many different ways. So some people may lose their peripheral vision, which is sort of at the side below and above. Um, and other people may lose it. So they still keep their um, their peripheral vision at the side, but they may lose their central vision, so they can't see so well in the centre. Um, some people may have other symptoms where they struggle more in the day than they do in sorry struggle more in the night than they do in the day because they have night blindness. And other people may struggle more um, due to bright lighting, for example, and have really extreme glare um, and difficulty with that situation. Um, so it will it will sort of manifest itself in very different ways. How I describe it is that vision loss is is a spectrum, and everyone's going to be on that spectrum in different ways. Um, people think that blind means completely blind, which is um, incorrect because there's only about seven seven percent of people that have um, visual impairment that see nothing at all. So that means that most people see something, but it's just severely restricted um, from the general population. Yeah, that goes back to the the point that I made right at the beginning of this, which is that it, for too many people, it's they see it as very much a black or white thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you either have somebody at work who's blind, we mm. know that they're blind coming in, therefore we need to deal with it. Or mm. this person can't hear, therefore we know that we need to deal with it and we need to do this. But it's that yeah. it's it's all of the gamut in between that's that's really not picked up on and it's it's not just picked up on it's it's difficult for those people to have a voice about it i think give mm. in a, in a lot of situations at the moment because you know it is it's a it's an emotive thing to you know and 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 it goes for it goes for as i say i found um 
whilst I was out there in the workplace, I found people in their 60s mm. uh, who have been practicing barristers for years, who's, who now have just, well, I, I, when I was assessing them, went, you've got dyslexia, yeah. I'm going to get you tested for dyslexia. And then they discovered that they've got dyslexia. It doesn't mean to say that, and I think this is an interesting point, people are very good at coping mm. you know and i think that's one of the problems we are all you know if you're if you're good at coping with something you mm. kind of you can go along for quite a long period of time finding other ways of adapting so that people don't notice yeah i think there's a lot of people that but also that they hide it as well. So some people will know that they can't hear or see very well. Um, but a lot of people will hide it until it gets sort of really bad and then say something. Um, but also there's that fear of, am I going to lose my job? Uh, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Da, 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 da. Um, so I think there's that fear as well that people don't necessarily want to be loud and proud about it. Um, but it's really important that you do. So if you're someone that has is losing their hearing or their vision and you're out there now listening to this, um, you know, you have the Equality Act there to protect you. The Equality Act means that employers have a duty to make reasonable adjustments. And some will do the bare minimum and others will do, you know, over and above and be amazing employers. Um, ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, if you are struggling, make sure that you get the support that you need. Um, because it's going to help you in the long run. It's also going to put less strain on your hearing or your sight because the more you struggle, um, the more it's putting more strain on your vision or your hearing as well. And yeah. also your mental health, I think, you know. Um, some people describe it with, with vision and hearing as like a coming out situation. So whether you are coming out as um, uh, gay, bisexual, etc., cetera, um, when, when it comes to visual impairment or hearing loss, it's sort of like, You've got to come out and accept to the world that you you can't see or hear very well um because you sometimes feel like you're the only one and i think a lot of people um can resonate with that that they feel like they're the only one in that situation and they may be the only one in that in that office or in that team but overall in the organization there's lots of you out there as well and so one of the things i do in my assessments as well is i always promote the staff um, disability networks because a lot of employees who have lost their hearing or lost their vision are not necessarily aware of the employee networks um so also you know then they they can meet other people in the same organization as them um and we know that about 500 people a day start to lose their hearing and vision so if there's that many people losing their hearing and vision there's that many people out there in the workplace so where where are they you know they're definitely there and some of them might be there and you don't even realize or Back to my point earlier, you just think they're clumsy. Well, they're not. They're, they're struggling. And, and that actually brings me nicely back to the training aspect of this. Is yeah. it, from my personal point of view, I think that's why it's important that organisations do the awareness training. Yeah. It, even if they know right at that moment in time, they don't have someone with a visual impairment or a sight impairment or uh, sorry a hearing impairment in the organization because why wait until you've got someone in because if if you if you train people on awareness of something you're what part of what you're doing is you're opening the conversation within that organization to say it's okay mm -hmm. right and if so therefore if you breed a uh 
culture of it's okay to talk about this very much like teachers now do in school i mean i remember when i was in school anybody that had a visual impairment it would have been mm, look at that, that person yeah. there right yeah. these days my kids go to school they they are uh they come home and they have friends with you know maybe an eye missing or an arm missing or whatever they will think nothing of it because it's taught yeah. in school as this is this is normal this yeah. is fine yeah. this is yeah. part part and parcel of you know of, of humanity mm. and we need to do that in the workplace as well we need to talk about these things first mm. regardless of what whether someone's there mm. and and that way then more people will come for more people will open up yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree definitely i think you're right i think that's um to and also the awareness training is also for the staff to be aware of the customers that may have hearing or vision loss as well just yeah. to um, enhance that customer experience oh that's a very good point yeah um we we, we sometimes forget that there may be a, another side to the business as well you know if we're outward facing mm. Uh, as most businesses are, you know, if your clients, etc., you know, are you thinking about uh, who you've got at the other end of the telephone? So, no, great point. Um, great conversation today. Thanks. Thanks for coming along, Dan, and talking about that. Thanks for the people that have been watching. Thanks for your comments. Lots of comments uh, of support. Um, it, maybe some questions to follow. Maybe we've bamboozled them with with what we've been saying but i'm sure that it will percolate and and comments will come afterwards we're going to finish on one last thing um dan as, as a little bit of fun you also struggle with uh secret strokers <laughs> just tell us a little bit about that to finish today um, um yeah so i've got a guide dog called zodiac um and it's quite funny because you get a lot of people that come up to you um, when you're at a train station or something like that, and they'll stroke the dog and they'll walk off really quietly um, as if you didn't see them. And I call them the secret strokers of society um, that <laughs> rather than engage with you, they engage with the dog, but just really like thinking that you think they're not there, which is quite funny. Um, so I normally say to them, oh, I saw you there. And then they go, oh, because <laughs> they get a bit freaked out. It's quite funny. Um, but I think the main thing is, you know, if you want to stroke the dog or whatever, like speak to the person as well. Um, so, yeah. Well, I know because this is going out on Twitter and, and my, my music crowd will also be watching this on Twitter. And I've spoken to a few musicians before who are, are visually impaired. It would be great, actually. Maybe that's a, a fantastic band name right there. The Secret Strokers of Society. Um, <laughs> uh, if we <laughs> perhaps perhaps someone could actually uh, capture that and, and, and uh, you know, we could form that into a band. We might might come up with a song to. to they don't even stroke it. me. That's the that's the disappointing that, thing. Got it. There you go. <laughs> don't even buy you a cup of tea for the privilege. There you go, Dan. You've been absolutely amazing today. Thanks. Thanks for that. I hope that's really informed some people about uh, about the whole area of sight loss, uh, hearing loss, and the different types of assessments and training that are available. If you want to know more. Do contact uh, Dan via the social media platform. We'll be putting the links to uh, to Dan's LinkedIn, etc., in the comments as well, so that you can connect with Dan and find out a little bit more. But being a brilliant guest, thanks for for joining us. We'll be back same sort of time next week. Stephen will be back after his half term extravaganza, um, and uh, we'll be 
looking forward to speaking to you then. Um, if you haven't already, you can catch up with previous episodes of this at wellergonomics.com. Um, and there's the links there to the Spotify page as well. So do give us a subscribe there. Until next week, it's been myself and Dan from Visualized Training and Consultancy. We'll see you soon. Bye for now. Thank you.